Well, so how is the challenge going? Anybody remember the challenge? I know Brother Jeff does because he mentioned it to me this morning. Anybody else remember the challenge that I gave you last week? Last week we started a new series, and that series was on the book of Proverbs. And the study is entitled Family Matters, and we're trying to talk through how the book of Proverbs applies and teaches us some important truths uh, that apply to our families and our homes and, and our child-rearing and things like that. Our goal being Christian homes and godly families and children and homes that honor God. And so as we started the series, I gave you a challenge. My challenge was, I'd like to see you read one chapter of Proverbs every day. And uh, that's really a very easy thing to do. It takes about ten minutes a day, maybe. And uh, you, can just, you can just read the chapter that corresponds to the day of the week. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs, and so, or the day of the month, I mean. 31 chapters in Proverbs, and so if you had started last week, you would have read 6 through 12. If you were to start today, you'd start on chapter 13, because today is the 13th. So how are you doing? How are you doing on the challenge? If you, if you did it last week, then you would have read approximately 200 verses from the book of Proverbs in the past week. And we learned just last week that Proverbs is a compendium of short sayings on a variety of practical matters. That it was written by King Solomon, who was particularly gifted in this matter of wisdom. He had prayed for wisdom, and God had given him wisdom. We learned that the book of Proverbs speaks to subjects of practical importance to all of us. They were important then, they're important now. Nothing has really changed as far as the important issues of life. And so it deals with them all. And so if you were faithful to reading one chapter per day this past week, then you would have received biblical, practical instruction on uh, really over about 200 times in the week. We learned last week that Proverbs is a book containing principles for life. Remember we said it's not a book of promises. We'll probably reach out and touch on that truth every once in a while because it's important. We need to understand that when we look at Proverbs. Uh, we, we, could, we could get ourselves into a confusing state if we don't understand that, because it does deal in principles and not promises. But if you were faithful to the challenge this week, you would have received over 200 principles for living a wise, godly, Christian life. So how are you doing on the challenge? If you haven't taken up the challenge yet, let me encourage you, just start today. It's one that you can start any time, and I would encourage you to do it. You would start today in chapter 13. You would read one chapter per day. It would take you about ten minutes per day. And as a matter of fact, let's do today's together, shall we? Let's turn to chapter 13 this morning, and let's just see how long it takes us to read one chapter of Proverbs. Of course, it always takes longer to read it out loud than it would take to read it individually. But let's read chapter 13. This would be today's chapter. Proverbs chapter 13. A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. A man shall eat well by the fruit of his mouth, but the soul of the unfaithful feeds on violence. He who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. A righteous man hates lying, but a wicked man is loathsome and comes to shame. Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but wickedness overthrows the sinner. There is one who makes himself rich, yet has nothing, and one who makes himself poor, yet has great riches. The ransom of a man's life is his riches, but the poor does not hear rebuke. The light of the righteous rejoices. But the lamp of the wicked will be put out. By pride comes nothing but strife, 
but with the well-advised is wisdom. Wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished, but he who gathers by labor will increase. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. He who despises the word will be destroyed, but he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. The law of the wise is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. Good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool lays open his folly. A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful ambassador brings health. Poverty and shame will come to him who disdains correction, but he who regards a rebuke will be honored. A desire accomplished is sweet to the soul, but it is an abomination to fools to depart from evil. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Evil pursues sinners, but to the righteous good shall be repaid. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Much food is in the fallow ground of the poor, and for lack of justice there is waste. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. The righteous eats to the satisfying of his soul, but the stomach of the wicked shall be in want. So how long did that take? Did that take ten minutes? I don't think that took ten minutes. That might have been five minutes. And for that tiny investment, we got tons of help in practical matters. Now granted, Proverbs, you have to stop and think after each verse in Proverbs, because each verse is an individual topic in it. There's no flow to Proverbs. You have to just read each one individually. But, but think about what we read there. There's instruction in that chapter pertaining to fathers and sons. Did you see that? And the wise use of words. We all could use some help with our mouths. We preachers probably fight with that more than anybody else, but uh, we all have troubles with things that we say. There's a bunch there on avoiding poverty and getting rich. Did you see that? We'd all like to get rich. There's a lot of things in Proverbs that would be helpful in that way. There are a few reminders about the importance of listening to people who are wise and not listening to fools and sinners. Did you notice that in there? Some good advice for us there. And there's specific help for the parent who wants to raise a godly child. And then there is this. Look at verse number 13. Verse number 13, which is really our text for today. And one of the main verses I want us to think about today. Verse number 13. He who despises the word will be destroyed. But he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. I want us to use that verse today as kind of a jumping off point to talk about the second foundational truth for families. Remember last week we said we're going to start, we're going to talk about some topics, but first of all, we want to talk about some foundational things, some underlying truths that have to be there before we start talking about specifics. It does mean no good to start talking about what it teaches about child rearing or what it teaches about money if we don't have this foundation laid. And so last week we talked about the very first foundational truth, which is simply that your faith must be real. Parents, if you're going to raise children from God, it's not to start with you. And you have to have a faith, and it has to be real. You need to believe. That belief needs to permeate your life. It needs to direct your life, and it needs to be such that it's seen that your kids know it's there. Well, today I want us to notice another foundational truth, and that is something that we talk about a lot here at Friendship Bible Church, and that is that the Bible is your handbook for life. 
The Bible is your handbook for life. You know, this book is not just any book. You know that, right? We talk about that a lot. And I know you're all looking at it. You say, well, it looks like a book to me. And it, it does. In some ways, it is a book. I mean, it's, it's like other books in some ways. I mean, it, it does have paper pages. That's, that's like other books. And it does have a cover, uh, either paper or cardboard or cloth or leather or something. Uh, pleather, maybe, in some cases, uh, which that makes it look like a book. If you open it up, it has words on the pages, which would make it look like a book. It even has a table of contents in it. I see sometimes some people struggling to figure out where we are. Well, you know, your Bible does have a table of contents. You can find where we are if you just look there real quick. So, you know, in many ways, uh, it is just like any other book. It tells a story just like every other book. But it's also unlike any other book. This book is different in its authorship. The Bible is Theophnustos, God-breathed, as 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16 teaches us. The words were written down, penned by human beings, but they were, they were holy men of God who spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit of God, as Peter teaches us. So it's God-breathed, it's inspired by God, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. No other book is that true. Uh, it's different in its authorship. It's different in its consistency. I challenge you to find another book anywhere on the face of the earth, any time in the history of man that is like this book in its consistency. It's really, it looks like one book, doesn't it? But it's really 66 books, uh, all written by different people for the most part. Over a period of like 1,500 years, 40-some different authors, three different languages. <laughs> and yet, if you look at it, it has one united theme all the way through it. Most of these guys didn't even know each other. They lived at different times. They didn't have access to each other's writings. And if you read Genesis to Revelation, you have one story. It's impossible to explain any other way than the fact that even though there was 40-some different guys who wrote it, we really have one author, and that's God. It is unmatched in its consistently consistency. It's, it's consistently about one thing from Genesis to Revelation, and that's God's plan to redeem your soul. All the way through, from beginning to end. And so it's different in that way. It's different in its longevity. You know, this book's been around a long time. A long time. And it will be around a long time. As a matter of fact, Jesus said it would never go away. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but my words will by no means pass away. So it's different in its longevity. It's different in its perfection. You ever had anybody say to you, the Bible is full of errors? Or anybody say that? I, I hear that every once in a while. The Bible is full of errors and full of contradictions. And you know, I, I have a, a response that I usually like to use to the fool who says that. And you know what it is? I like to hand them my Bible and say, okay, would you please show me one? And it's amazing how quickly they can hand the Bible back to you because at that particular moment it must be on fire or something because they always hand it back to you. Well, it's just full of them. It's just full of them. Okay. Show me one. You know, I've never yet had anybody that could do that. Never had anybody. And if they thought they had one, it's easily explained that it's not an error. The fact is you, they can't find errors because there aren't a bunch of errors. It's not even one error in this Bible. This Bible's perfect. This Bible's astonishingly uh, perfect. I've been trying my hand lately at writing, and I've even self-published a few books lately. And you know what I found? I found that the proofreading task is gargantuan. It's, it's nearly impossible. And I will read and read and study and read and, and, and go over these things until I want to vomit. I've read them so many times. And then finally I'll go ahead and submit them to be published, and then I'll get the first proof back and it's got errors in it. And I think, how is this possible? How is this possible? While in Israel last month, 
my interest was piqued by a topic that uh, I've always wanted to study and I just never have, and that's the, the, the matter of the Crusades. When you go over there, one of the things that gets mentioned kind of as a side, and they never explain it, is the Crusades. There's so many things that you see there, they'll say, well, this is Crusader, and that was Crusader, but they never explain anything about it. And so I wanted to go off and read. and did a little research. I thought, I'm going to have a long plane ride home. I had no idea how long it was going to be, but I knew I had a long plane ride home coming, so I thought, well, I'll find a book. And I did some research, and I found this one that was highly rated. It was the, so the one that everybody said is the best that you could possibly read on the Crusades. And so I bought it, and I read it on the way home, and I can, I'm still reading it. It's an excellent book. It's everything they said it would be. It's well-researched. It's readable. It's wonderful. It's scholarly. It's, it's, uh, everything is excellent in it. And I was just reading it yesterday, and you know what I found? I found a typo in this excellent scholarly book. But if we contrast all these examples with the Bible, we see that there's a difference. You know, in 1948 or 1947, I can never remember the year, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. And you know, you can go and you can, you can look at the Dead Sea Scrolls. Sometimes they bring them around, sometimes they go on tour. Uh, I've got a book in my library that shows them. Uh, in Jerusalem, there's a, the Shrine of the Book Museum where you can actually look at the, the actual scrolls. The one that always amazes me is the book of Isaiah. They found a scroll, been buried for hundreds, thousands of years, that, uh, that is the book of Isaiah. And it is exactly, word for word, without one variation, exactly the same thing we have in our Bibles. Now, how is that possible? It's just simply not possible by human understanding. No matter how many times you proofread the Bible, you will find no errors. You see, it's perfect. No mistakes. No contradictions. Inerrant. Infallible. Absolutely in every way. And so it's different, isn't it? It's different in its popularity. Its popularity. Some books, like mine, don't sell very well. Some books, most books, if you, uh, if you even have a bestseller, they're going to sell for a little while and get great gangbusters. And you know where you're going to find them? You're going to find them in Ollie's in the bargain bin for 50 cents. And that'll only be for a few weeks. And then all of a sudden you won't find them anywhere. That's most books. I think we could, we could properly say that that's almost all books. But the Bible is a bestseller and has been a bestseller from the beginning of time and will be until... How is it possible that it's still the best-selling book of all time? How is it possible that it still, after all this time, sells more than anything else? Nothing else comes close to it in its popularity. So it's different. And we could go on, but I think you get the idea. This book is different than any other book. It's not just a book. It's different in its character, its claims, its effect, its life-changing power. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 can be said of no other book, but it is said of the Bible. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. First, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21 can be said of no other book, but it is said of the Bible. Knowing this, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Every word of God is pure. That cannot be said of any other book. But it is said in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse number 5 of the Bible. This book is different. It changes lives. On our flight to Israel, the big flight over the ocean, I was sitting on an aisle seat. And across the aisle, Sister Karen was sitting there. And she was in an aisle seat as well. 
The seat beside Karen, as we, the plane was loading, the seat beside Karen was remaining empty. And of course, that's always an exciting thing, isn't it? And so I'm watching her, and she's watching me. And every time somebody would walk by, her eyes would get real big, and they'd walk right on by. And they kept getting closer and closer. And you could just tell that she was thinking she was going to get this wonderful, wonderful privilege of traveling all the way over there with that added comfort of that extra seat beside her. But you know what happened. I'm telling you, it couldn't have been seconds before they closed the door. This guy comes sprinting down the aisle and squeezed himself into the seat beside her there. I was personally giggling inwardly <laughs> at her situation. We took off, and the plane started to fly across the ocean. And I could not help but notice the conversation that was taking place, because this young man struck up a conversation with her. Or maybe she struck it up with him, I don't remember. Who started that conversation? He did. Okay. And uh, I, I shamelessly eavesdropped on the entire thing, and it was very interesting <laughs> I listened for a long time. I think the conversation went on for hours. And somehow, glory to God, he found out that she was a believer. Now, how do you suppose that happened? Praise the Lord. He found out that she was a believer. And he began to ask questions. And she began to fire back answers. And I said to her, and I eavesdropped on this. It raged on. as she shared with him scripture after scripture. And testimony after testimony of how the Bible had changed her life and could change his. I, I, I just wanted to shout as I listened to all this. You know, I think I could go around the room this morning, and I think everybody in here who is a believer would say amen to that. The Bible changes lives, and the Bible has changed mine. The Bible has changed yours, amen? Well, Proverbs has something to add to this discussion. And I want us to notice briefly this morning just a couple principles for wise living about what it has to say about the Bible. This foundational truth that needs to be true in our lives. And, and, and basically, it, it says two things that I want us to think about. Number one, the Bible, read, is the handbook for living. Number two, the Bible, unread, is the roadmap to death. Those two things this morning from the book of Proverbs. The Bible, read, is the handbook for life. You know, if you search Amazon.com, and most of you have done that, you will find that there's an insane number of guides for success in life. Have you ever gone out there and looked at the number of books that are available? And no doubt many of them contain wonderful and useful stuff. But none of them can compare to the Word of God as far as being a handbook for life. It trumps them all. Proverbs gives some specifics. It says, for example, that the Bible is a handbook for health. Health, physical health. Now, would you believe that, that the Bible is the handbook for physical health? I did do a search on Amazon for just diet books. Diet books. Anybody want to guess how many books came up when I just searched for diet books? 97,000 diet books. Now, that would be a pretty good diet if you just decided you were going to read all the diet books. Not eat until you finished all the diet books. You would no doubt lose some weight there. I don't think you could read them all in a lifetime. And the fact is, my guess is you could probably set them all aside. Almost all of them aside as fads, because that's what most diet books are. Most health books. And then there would be some that would, that would remain. There would be ones that describe a truly healthy lifestyle. And you know what I think we'd find? I think we would find that they only draw upon the truths that are already mentioned in the Bible. Because that's the way most self-help books are. They're just drawing upon the truths that are in Scripture. Proverbs says it very plainly. It's a handbook for health. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Health to your flesh. Strength to your bones. Beth and I recently lost 20 pounds apiece. You all knew that, didn't you? 
Thank you very much. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I should be insulted by that, but we each recently lost 20 pounds. You know how we did it? We didn't do it by drinking weird drinks or anything like that. We did it by following a thing called the Daniel Fast and the Daniel Plan. Amen, Connie. I see that hand. Connie is trying it now, too. But you know what it is? All, all... I didn't tell you you could talk. All it is is following the eating plan that Daniel followed in the book of Daniel. Everything that we need to know for life is in this book, even mundane and simple things like that. The Bible is the handbook even for health. The Bible is the handbook for finding happiness. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 20 says, He who hears, heeds the word wisely will find good, and whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. Happiness. Every once in a while I come across a Christian. Hang dog, thumb sucky, looking like they're just, you know, going through the most generally unhappy times of life. And sometimes these folks will call the pastor and, and, and they'll, you know, help me, help me, what, what can I do? They want advice about their woes. And you know, one of the first questions I always ask is very simple. How's your Bible reading going? How's your time in the Bible going? And, uh, you know, you never want to be completely dogmatic about things. There's always exceptions, but I can't think of one right now. It seems to me like any time that question has come up, the, that that person will admit that somewhere along the line they laid their Bible aside. Somewhere along the line they stopped reading. Why is it so many Christians are on antidepressants? Why don't they just pick up their Bible instead? I don't get me wrong, I'm not a doctor, and I'm not going to stand up here and tell people they ought not to take pills. I'm not going to do that. I know there are people who need medical attention. One of my great heroes of the faith was Charles Spurgeon, and Charles Spurgeon suffered tremendous uh, depression throughout his life. And I know that depression and other issues related to mental health do exist, but I also know that Christians tend to go that direction first. Why don't we just pick up our Bibles? Most of the time, we would find happiness in the Word rather than in a pill. Most of the time. And I think the right advice for us, as all of us as Christians, is before we mess up our minds swilling it with drugs, we first of all fill it with the Word. Fill it with the Word. Are you saying, preacher, that everything in my life is going to come up roses if I read my Bible? No. Of course not. And are you saying that I'll have no troubles in life if I just read my Bible? And again, no. Of course not. We do live in a fallen world. And until Jesus comes, we are going to have to deal with the vicissitudes of life. There's no doubt about it. He warned us that in this world we would suffer tribulation. But you know what else he said? He also said, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And see, that's the assurance. That's the blessing we'll get if we read his words in the Bible. And so the Bible is our, is our handbook for happiness. The Bible is also our source of protection. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 5 says, every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Protection. And this one I'm not going to get out of. Proverbs, I'm going to jump over to Ephesians in the uh, armor of God. But you know, if you read that passage in Ephesians, you find that the Bible is not only our source of protection, but also our strongest weapon, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So let's think about all these things. We could go on. These are just a few different places where the Bible is, is, is the Bible read is our handbook for life. But let's think about how that applies to our topic, which we're trying to accomplish in this series, which is family. Obviously, these things are true of us as people, right? As individuals, as, uh, just in our own personal lives. They're foundational, but they're also true of families. 
The Bible is your handbook for health and happiness. It is your source of protection and your weapon for fighting all the battles of this life. And that is just as true in your home and in your family. The Bible is the handbook describing the way to healthy and godly families. You see, dads, that's why it needs to be seen in your home. And that's why it needs to be read to your kids. Parents, that's why it needs to be the guide that is consulted first and most. And that's why the Bible education of your kids needs to be the most important education that they receive. Think again about the words of Proverbs that we've seen here. Foundational words. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. He who heeds the word wisely will find good. And whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. It's a handbook for life. Now, of course, some would disagree. And some might say, well, you know what, I'll accept the Bible as a good book. It's a good book. There's a lot in there that's helpful, but it's certainly not a vital book, and it's not the one that I'm going to base my entire life around. Some people would say, well, it's pretty old-fashioned, it's pretty out of date, it's, it's obsolete, it's helpful, but I'm not willing to go so far as to say it's foundational. And you know what, I think Proverbs has something to say to that as well. Whereas the Bible read is a handbook for life, the Bible unread is a roadmap to death. That sounds harsh, but listen to what Proverbs says. Proverbs 13, 13, our text for today. He who despises the word will be destroyed. Now, that's pretty hard to think of anything harsher than that. He who despises the word will be destroyed, but he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. And it says so many other things along this line. Proverbs 19, 27, cease listening to instruction, my son, and you will strike from the words of knowledge. Proverbs 28, verse 9, one who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Proverbs 29 and verse 18, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. Boy, that's a, that, we could talk about that all day as being a picture of America today, could we not? Where the word of God is missing, that's what the word revelation is referring to there, where the word of God is missing and ignored, the people cast off restraint. We see it in our nation. It's certainly true in families as well. So the Bible unread is a roadmap to death. So, Let's draw to a conclusion. Are you reading it? Are you reading it? Consistently. Regularly. I know I harp on this. And I don't apologize for harping on this. I believe it's one of the things that's, that's key, that's foundational to us as believers. There was a man by the name of Bill Brandon who used to attend this church. His daughter, Debbie, still attends here. She's one of our members of Debbie here today. I didn't see her come in. Bill Brandon uh, died a few years ago. And I preached his funeral. And I remember as he was, he was coming to the end of his days and he was really unable to get out of his house, I went and visited with him in his home and, and was talking to him. And he was reminiscing a little bit about his mom. And I remember something that he said that really stuck with me. He said his mother, during the, the, the course of her life, read through the Bible cover to cover over 100 times. And I thought, wow. You know, the Bible's the only book you can do that with. The Bible's the only book that you never get your mind around. You can't just read once. You have to read it over and over and over again. I've asked people sometimes, you know, do you read the Bible? And their answer is, yeah, I have read the Bible. But that's not enough. I have a good friend who I witness to all the time, and that's always his answer. I've read the Bible. I've read it. That's not enough. Read it again. You get to, to Revelation, start over. Read it again. See, are you reading it? It's foundational for your life. It's the handbook for life. But then I would ask the question, are you reading it to your kids? 
Are you ensuring that the Bible education for your kids is their primary education? I know a man who was once very, very faithful to church. (coughs) Very faithful to Bible reading. And Bible was the foundation of his life, he would have said at that time. He was even the one who preached. He was a preacher. He strove to ensure that his kids were in church and Sunday school and youth group all the time. But then one day he decided, uh, I don't know what precipitated this decision on his part, but one day he decided that he was going to start working on Sundays. And I asked him, as he had missed church after church after church, you know, what's going on with you? And he said, I've decided that uh, I want to, uh, to gain as much money as I can by working overtime on Sundays because I want to make sure my kids have the, the, the best possible Ivy League education they can have. And he followed that course. He, he never, he didn't come back. He kept on going. He worked overtime. He accumulated a lot of money. And his kids got the benefit of that education. They both went to Ivy League schools. And uh, as far as I know, got the best education money can buy. And they are both today absolutely, completely non-existent as far as their Christianity. They have nothing to do with God. They are as heathen as it is possible to imagine any two people could be. And you know what else? So is he. He never came back. After he'd accomplished his goal, he never came back. The last I heard about his kids, they have no interest in God, no interest in his word. The last I heard, they're living like they're eternally lost. And they probably are. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? And I would ask parents, What profit is it If you give your kids the whole world and they die and go to hell as a result, what has been gained by helping them to lose their soul? Most parents today, most Christian parents today, I think are throwing the world at their kids with both hands. And I hope that as I say this next thing, you will take it in the heart that it is meant because some might want to get up and walk out. Maybe you should do that right now before I say it. But... I believe it's the truth. I really do. And I only say it because I care about kids and Christians. But you know what? Sports are fun. But sports are not important life principles. There's nothing really gained of any serious uh, matter from sports. Sports on Sunday have the stink of hell on them. They absolutely do. And our school systems are destroying our churches and our kids by having all of their sports practices on Sundays and taking them out of God's house. Satan gave that gift to our world. And yet a majority of Christian parents today are just throwing their kids away with that very important thing. And you know what? One of these days, we're going to have a whole generation of kids that know how to catch and they know how to throw and they know how to run and they're all dying and going to hell. What have we gained if we have gained the whole world at the cost of their souls? Oh, listen, the Bible is your handbook for life. Unread, it is a roadmap to death. Some of us might need to think this through this morning on a personal level. Have you personally responded to the truth of Scripture? Have you read of Jesus' demands on you? You personally? Have you read of his demands that you believe him, receive him, be born again, trust him, and him only with your soul? 
Have you read of his demand that you call upon him and be saved? Have you read these things? And have you acted upon them? Are you trusting him? I think some need to be saved today. And I implore you, if that is true of you, that you will do it. You'll start trusting him today. You'll start believing him today. You'll be saved again. Don't be one who gains the whole world and loses your own soul. But, oh, I think there are some parents here today who need to think this through on a family level. Is the Bible foundational to your home? Is it foundational to your parenting? Are you faithfully and systematically educating your children in the Bible? Is their Bible education the most important education that you want them exposed to? And I would plead with moms and dads this morning. Don't be of the number who give their kids the world and send them to hell afterwards. Don't be of that number. Give your kids a chance. Give them the word. Give them Jesus. Because that is their only hope. C.S. Lewis said, If you are on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. Some of us need to do that today.